0: From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seewick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. On this episode of Land Stories, I'm joined by a Lansing area filmmaker, Michael Rodriguez. Good to be here. Welcome. And the purpose of having you on is to discuss a film. Uh, And uh, it's a little bit of background information, I had, independent of being contacted by Michael, had showed my students a film about the uh, Lansing auto industry and Well, serendipitously, I suppose, the next morning I had an email (laughs) sitting in my inbox from Michael, and uh, well, one thing led to another, and I said, this would be a great topic for a show. So Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the film that we're going to be discussing today?
1: Yeah, that is serendipitous. I was just looking at the Lansing Historical Society Facebook page, and you popped up. And I said, what? This guy you know, teaches local history at LCC? So I looked you up, saw the lands programs, and I found your email address. Not too hard to find. Sure. And I said, if you're teaching local history at LCC, you might be interested in this film that I have. So it's called Ariel's and the First Auto City. How it came about is in 2003, there was the Rio Centennial Rio was a car company in, in Lansing, up until 1975. you probably, most people know Rio from their trucks, the speed wagon. It's pronounced Rio, not Ario. <laughs> right. They've been, that band has screwed up that name for so long. Yeah, so I did a book for the Rio Centennial in 2003. It's an Arcadia book, and it's called ariold's and Lansing Industry. So it traces Ariold's life. Ariolds is the founder of of Oldsmobile, which actually became a part of General Motors early on. People don't even remember Oldsmobile anymore. It's yeah,
0: crazy. I know, because that's been a discontinued brand, yeah. to use the GM terminology, for yeah. quite some time.
1: So that traces Ariel's sort of career in the automobile industry and the attendant industries that are involved in making cars. And there's a lot, right? So it's not just the factories that are making cars, it's the You know, there was the Auto Wheel. There was tons of other local industries that supported the car industries. So at one point, Lansing had three major automobile manufacturers, including Rio, Oldsmobile, and Durant. So Billy Durant's company, he started in Lansing. When he came back, he went in and out of General Motors so many times. Billy Durant's a very interesting person. But one of the times when he was away from General Motors, he came to Lansing and started a major car company called Duran. Mm-hmm. The plant became the Fisher Body Plant on Verlinden. So it was an old space. It was an old space. When they tore it down, that place still had wooden floors. That's remarkable for a car for an automobile manufacturing yeah. center. Is just that's just kind of crazy.
0: Sure, and one of the largest industrial corporations in the world operating it.
1: I, it was the largest. Right. I'm time. not sure if it still is, but it was the largest yep. industrial company in the world.
0: Yeah. Well, that sounds really, really interesting. And why Lansing Autos? I mean, you already explained this a little bit, but you could have done a film on really anything.
1: Well, again, it goes back to the book. And the the reason for both is the importance of the history of making cars in in the city. This is a very unique situation. People don't know it. If you ask anybody in the world, practically, um, who was the first to mass manufacture automobiles, they'll all tell you. Ford Motor Company. Henry Ford, right? Right, Exactly. That's the mountain to climb, Mm -hmm. right? So Henry Ford (laughs) gets the credit for a lot of stuff that he didn't do. There's another great film out there called 10 Questions for Henry Ford um, that I encourage people to seek out. There needs to be truth told, you know, and this is, we need to get this story right. It's an important story. Lansing really did set the pace for automobile manufacturing for the world. Sure. And nobody really talks about that anymore.
0: And it's funny because you are almost reciting, as it were, Word for word, what uh, the conversation I had with my students that actually prompted me showing them that film, and I always have to tell them that you grew up probably being told that Henry Ford invented the car, and he invented the assembly line. I said he did neither. The car was invented in Europe at least 20 years before Henry Ford built the Model T. And in terms of the assembly line, it was here in Lansing, yeah. actually, that the, some of the first innovations that we would recognize nowadays as a assembly line. Well, no, it's, hard, it's
1: hard to say who built the first car, right? It's sure. that's really hard to say. The Selden patent controversy that mm-hmm. went on for years. Selden said he built a car in 1865. And for years, he said he had the patent and people had to pay him. Mm-hmm. Anybody that manufactured cars had to pay him. General Motors did pay him. Ford didn't. Yeah. Uh, olds didn't. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really hard to say who made the first car. What is the... What is a car, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's, it goes back much, much further than that. There's If uh, you get a book called The Turning Wheel, mm-hmm. which came out a long time ago, but it traces the history of General Motors. Uh, but it also traces the history of car making. Mm-hmm. Way back, you know, I mean, they had steam cars. Sure. A long time ago. Yep. What Olds did was, yeah, the first assembly line for automobile making. But most important is, the first mass manufacturer of automobiles. He is the one that showed that it could be done. Mm-hmm. There were lots of people building cars around that time, but they couldn't do it on a large scale. Mm-hmm. They couldn't figure out how to do it on a large scale. Olds was a genius in terms of making motors. That's what he was famous for. Mm-hmm. So he knew steel very well. Mm-hmm. He knew how to mass manufacture things. And that's what made the Curved Dash Oles the first mass manufactured car. I mean, there's... By 1905, there's way more curved ashels on the streets of the world than Mm. there were anything else. Oh, sure. Sure. And
0: to this day, you can travel to museums around the world. And if they have a section devoted to automobile production, they will almost always have a uh, thorough section within that section that discusses the uh, American automobile
1: manufacturers, yeah. but it's usually Ford. It's Ford. You go yep. to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. and go to the National Museum of American History, which I did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. They have a transportation section. There's no mention of Ariel's. Oh, sure. It's, it's all Ford.
0: Yep. And that's in the United States. One of the best transportation museums I've ever been to is in Glasgow in Scotland. And it has a whole mock-up of the Model T Highland Park assembly plant in there. Wow. And it compares it to a local manufacturer of cars at the same time in that part of Scotland, in a basically an industrial suburb of Glasgow called Alexandria. The whole point of the exhibit is to show you why Ford Motor Company turned into a really big company and this little car manufacturer didn't. And they're trying to argue that it was the assembly line that, you know, but so I think that this gets me to the Next question I want to ask you, and it's actually one that I brought up with my students, too, uh, when we had a little bit of Q&A after the film. And that is, how hard was it for you to find good, reliable source information to put this film together, uh, given the fact that you were doing something on a company, a person that in this area, at
1: least, is probably more well known
0: than other parts of the the
1: U.S.? It's hard to find biographical material on Olds um, himself, so I stay away from that. Okay. Um, I stick to what is public history. And my resources come from the Ariel's Transportation Museum. Mm-hmm. A lot came from the downtown cattle, the local history room. Yep. A lot of the assets came from there. Heidi Butler runs that. She's done wonderful sure. things with the collection. Yep. So, no, I had a wealth of materials to choose from because I did the book. So I'm sourcing my own book, (laughs) you know, in large part. I did the research a long time ago. In terms of making a movie, it's who you know. It's important to know who to talk to. And that's what I did. But since I've been in this game for so long, I knew all the people off the top of my head. And Mayor David Hollister's in the movie, too. He made a film as well called Second Shift.
0: Right. And I've seen that before. And if memory serves me correctly, that one really focused on The transition away from when Oldsmobile was discontinued into the assembly plants that they built about 15 years ago,
1: they being General Motors. It's especially about saving General Motors in Lansing, Mm -hmm. that he created a blue ribbon committee to basically convince General Motors not to leave. So Lansing is the only town that has two new facilities in North America. When everything else moved to Mexico, mm-hmm. we got two new facilities. Why is that? The workforce, and it goes, this goes back to the early days of Oslobill. Mm-hmm. The workforce in Lansing is different, and it's historically different. So when Olds came back from Detroit after the fire in Detroit, and the Lansing Businessmen Association gave him the property that was the old fairgrounds on the Grand River, Olds looked around, and because he had manufacturing motors here for so long, he knew what the workforce was. Mm -hmm. He knew they were hardworking. He knew that a lot of people came from farms. They knew how to fix things, right? Something breaks, you don't send out to have it fixed. You fix it yourself. Sure. That's the way farms work. So the workforce was, well, there's also a labor issue that in Detroit, there was labor unrest. He saw that coming. There was labor unrest in his Detroit factory. Sure. And he knew that he could keep organized labor away, whether that's a good or a bad thing, um, when he came back to Lansing because he knew the people. He knew the workforce.
0: Sure, and, and that was a point that was emphasized actually in, as you correctly pointed out, in the film Second Shift as well. I remember seeing the screening of that film. I can't remember how many years it's been, but it's been a few, obviously, because that film came out, I think, like seven or eight years yeah, ago or something least, like that. Yeah. And I, um, I went to a screening of it. David Hollister was there. And one of the people that uh, used to work for GM was at that particular screening, and he emphasized that point that you mentioned about the uh, unique attributes that the labor force around here has. And he said, even in the early 2000s, when GM was contemplating where to put the new plants, ultimately, as you said, we got two in the Lansing area, that they still kept that in consideration. They looked at... The difference between labor relations with management in mm-hmm. the Lansing plants historically versus Flint mm-hmm. and some other places, and then they also looked at the likelihood of that workforce. Some of the same attributes that they had really seen as a as an asset to this area, how many of those were still applicable, and determined that actually a lot of them were. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, there's been a lot of research on this actually, probably because the UAW measures the workforce in terms of their satisfaction. And the Lansing labor force, if they're from this area, they tend to be a very satisfied workforce and support what the UAW wants to do. Mm-hmm. They've had to import, especially for the Delta Township plant, they had to import lots of workers from all over the state, all over the country, and they're not as happy. Yeah, They didn't grow up here. So Mr. Dennis in my movie, well, he doesn't talk about this. That was on the cutting room floor. But he talks about this, that he, during shutdowns, that he and other workers would go to Flint to fill jobs there while their factories were shut down, and he said it was terrible. Mm -hmm. He just, you know, the workforce just was not happy at all. Yeah, He couldn't wait to get back to Lansing. Yeah, yeah, and that
0: that can make a huge difference. I don't care what your work environment is. So that brings me to another point, too, that I, I definitely wanted to ask you about, and the people you interviewed in that film, were these people that you had known or that you had met when you did the book? Previously... Or were these people that you were able to be put in contact with through the museum? How did you find them to interview?
1: Well, Dave Pfaff is the historian for the Arioles Transportation Museum, so I obviously knew him because I did a lot of research there. Dave Hollister, I had access to him because he was a part of Motor City, so that's partly what funded his film, too. So, no, I I, I knew of everyone except for Mr. Dennis, and I was told that I should interview him. Mm-hmm. and. He was so fun to interview. He just, he's such a talker. I,
0: I can imagine <laughs> so, so. And tell us a little bit about the Motor Cities Heritage. What exactly is that organization and how, how did that play a role in, in you making this film?
1: So Motor Cities is a national program. The funding comes from the National Park Service. So it's a federally funded program to celebrate automotive history in, in the United States. Michigan is obviously a heavily thought of place in terms of auto manufacturing. Sure. So there are groups in Detroit. I think there's one in Flint. I could be wrong about that. We, Lansing is the most active though. We do the most projects of any area in the, we call it now the capital city or capital area Motor Cities Group. Right, And it's, it's just volunteer, you know, it's people that want to get grants that want to talk about automotive history in Michigan. They meet once a month. I've been doing that for years. I've done several grants, the murals that are either outside or inside the Arioles e. Transportation Museum. A group of us work with Tony uh, Hendricks to get those funded and done. If you go to the uh, Lansing Chamber of Commerce, I can never remember the name of it. <laughs> the Lansing Business Something Association. There's pamphlets there that I made that are an automotive history map of Lansing. Okay. That was funded by Motor Cities. And all the signs that are around town, the Mm -hmm. the way signs. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, those are all funded by Motor Cities. When you're driving from Detroit, going from east to west, there's a sign now that says this is a Motor Cities Heritage Act area on Mm I-96. So that was obviously funded by them as well.
0: Yeah, and that's a great organization, and it's a very interesting concept of national parks, in the past, we think of national parks or something. The National Park Service would be in charge of managing or overseeing in some way as a big area of land that's got mountains. and. You think of you know, Yosemite. Yeah, Elk. <laughs> Yellowstone. Exactly, you know, or even our world yeah. here in Michigan. Yeah. And and um, the Motor Cities group, I had a, a brief involvement in it and actually used to attend the meetings when we did the Lansing Labor Holiday commemoration. In so have we met before? Probably have, actually. And <laughs> uh, I guess that would have been... 2017 yeah including getting the historical marker that was put in front of city hall and still there thankfully yeah and um the front of the hollister building yes called the hollister building and and the celebration the ceremony we had yeah i was there and the day yeah Yeah. there you go the banner that was behind the people as they spoke that was my uh my design cool so i didn't know that yeah yeah i was asked to be part of that primarily because of my um my role at Lansing Community College is a history instructor and then some of the people I've known through the years. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, with the Historical Society right.
1: of Greater Lansing. So you worked with John Beck on that?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. In fact, I'm still on the uh, email list yeah. that he sends out. It's a huge email list. It is. It is indeed. <laughs> and and unfortunately, they meet while I am at work in the old nine-to-five gigs. Right. So it's not too often anymore that I get yeah. over there for a meeting.
1: I go to most meetings still.
0: So... Where was this film distributed at, and where was it shown initially, and how has that
1: changed through the years? Well, it got actually released in uh, 2019. So the first showing was in the Ariel's Transportation Museum, fall of 2018, and that was uh, incredibly well attended. We were looking for chairs all over the building. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the final cut. In the meantime, I applied for the Traverse City Film Festival and got accepted. Couldn't believe that that's a very prestigious oh, absolutely. Uh, film festival. Absolutely. So we went and it was a blast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I encourage anybody that makes a film to submit it, even though they say they probably won't even look at it, do it because if you're accepted, get yourself up to Traverse City for that film festival. It's so much fun. I, I can imagine.
0: I can imagine.
1: Um, one of the things I do as part of my job is I manage all the streaming um, video for Michigan State University Libraries. Okay. I'm a librarian. I should have said that early on. That's okay. So I was at a, what was then called the National Media Market in St. Louis, I think. Anyway, one of the things is that media show did was to bring to all the, the distributors of films. So I was talking to someone from Films on Demand, and uh, I said, I got a movie. You know, did you guys think about distributing. She, she said, oh yeah, well, we'll take a look. So I sent her a 10 minute short of the film and she said, we wanted it. So at that point, I just said to the film crew, which is Biddle City, I should have mentioned that too. Let's just make a half an hour documentary. It's you know too hard to raise more money. Mm-hmm. And so you can check your local library catalog to see if they have it. I think all the local libraries around here have it. They might not have it in Films on Demand, but they'll have a DVD for sure.
0: And LCC has it on Films on Demand. That is one of our subscription services that we have through the library, and that's actually how I showed it to my students was through that.
1: Yeah, so it's not available on Hulu or Amazon or Netflix. Films on Demand is educational streaming film. Sure. So when you choose to do educational distribution, you've made a choice that you won't have it on one of those other streaming pay services. Okay. Because it's free for the students. Yep. Right? And that's, that's, the education is what the movie's all about. Sure.
0: Sure. And m- my students really appreciated it. The part about it that I got a lot of positive feedback on was that back and forth between how it was and then being able to bring in people now, well, close to now when the film was made, mm-hmm. there were people that remembered, for example, Rio when it was here. Um, because we don't think of the mid-70s as being that long ago, but actually, yeah. you know, it was. It was 40-some years ago. You had that. to be pretty young if you're still around. Sure. to work to Rio. Yep, almost 50 years ago, actually, yeah. now, yeah. that Rio closed. And so it was an eye-opening, I think, film for a lot of my students, and it was for me, yeah. quite frankly, too. I mean, even I was surprised by a few of the things that were in there. I thought that the the strength really was, though, in the interviews, and then in some of the historical photos you use, were those... Photos, stuff that you were able to attain at the uh, Capital Area District Library?
1: Either the library or the Arreola's Transportation Museum, or actually the MSU archives contributed some. Um, but mostly, uh, the overwhelming majority came from cattle, downtown okay. cattle. They have a, a wonderful photo database that people can look at online.
0: Sure, and I've, I've looked at that okay. myself too, and I, I will uh, agree with that statement. Okay. It is wonderful. It has a lot of interesting and unique things in there. I have always been forever on the search for good images to show my students, and I have discovered that the Library of Congress actually.
1: Oh, sure. They have. American
0: memory. Yep. Incredible images, including one of the real, the former real company headquarters that was taken not long after that building was completed, way back when. Very high resolution. The Library of Congress photos are nice because they've had professional archivists handling the material, and they'll scan the original silver gelatin.
1: Uh, negatives for old photos but they won't give you them as free assets for a for a film not for a film or a book okay right they would you know you want a personal copy it's a wonderful wonderful resource but if you want if you're making a film and you tell them you're making a film you want to use it for it then they're going to charge you that's interesting yeah that's interesting that's why i mean downtown cattle is so great yeah because they just say i'm not sure but should be saying this out loud but they just say you can use anything you want
0: yeah well <laughs> i think that some of the stuff that is plenty old enough to be in public domain and if there's no known copyright restrictions on it i suppose the library of congress could justify charging for it if they had some costs incurred in house where they had to prepare it and i could see yeah. that but I, I know that the images that i show my students that come from the Library of Congress. I always make sure that the uh, description has the no-known copyright restrictions on it, and then I'm pretty confident in, in showing it to them, especially if it's old.
1: Well, there's educational use, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you, you shouldn't worry about that. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you want to you give a proper citation. Right, like, of course. Like any good academic would do. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but so for a lot of the assets that I used in, in my film, that's not, they're not public domain. You know, it's, that's 1920, what is it now, 4, is public domain, before 1924. So a lot of this stuff is after
0: 1924. I'm sure. Yeah. So what's next? What are you working on now, or what do you plan on maybe working on in the future that's related to Lansing Autos or, or anything else that's relevant to this area and our history and our culture?
1: What my plan is next year, and hopefully it gets approved, that I want to do a sabbatical because it's available to me as faculty at MSU and I want to use it to uh, start a catalog and start digitizing some of the archives at the Ariel's transportation museum. Um, They have no online presence at all. Yeah. And you know, there's a certain amount of creativity there. Um, So obviously the output will be a catalog and some exhibits online to drive traffic to the museum. So it's, kind of giving back, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's what I want to do in terms of real other creative projects that, you know, that's really where I'm focused these days. It's taken a lot of my time to, to actually put this together.
0: Sure. And there's a real joy getting deeply involved in a project like this and being able to, well, have the opportunity to share it with others. Yeah.
1: So. And so I'm, a, I'm a also a vice president of the, now I'm now the vice president of the board of trustees for the museum, the Ariels Transportation Museum. So my career is really Probably too much moving in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you ask my supervisor, he might say, "Yeah, you know, Michael, you work for MSU." <laughs> yeah. Well, one never knows where yeah.
0: life will take us. Yeah. So, yeah. well, Michael, I want to thank you very, very much for coming on today. It's
1: been a pleasure. Great. I really appreciate it.
0: And if you um, ever want to come back on again, yeah. discuss the archive project there at the okay. uh, Transportation Museum, be glad to have you on.
1: Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you very much. You betcha.
0: You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Sewick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members, LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the Vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories.